Hello, everyone out there in Radioland. This here is Brian Kaplan. I'm a professor of economics at George Mason University, and I'm also a homeschooling dad. Uh, the last two weeks, I have been homeschooling the two gentlemen who are in the office with me, and this is their graduation day. So here we want to go and talk to people and just tell you about what we did and take some questions. Over here on my right, we've got... Aiden Kaplan, student. And over on my left... Tristan Kaplan, also a student. Now, if you think that sounds like one person, it is, in fact, two. My sons are identical twins. So when I ask questions, I'm going to try to direct it by name so you know who's talking. And then they may occasionally give you some indication of who you're listening to. Although maybe you'll figure it out from their attitude as time goes on. We'll see. All right. Now, uh, just to start with, uh, let's go and talk about what Kaplan Family School was like. So, just logistics. So, Aiden, how did it work? Well, uh, so we basically came in from 9.30 to 5.30 with a one-hour lunch break, and we did a well-rounded curriculum of mathematics, economics, history, throughout the day, usually starting with math in the mornings. Wait, came in where? Oh, to our father's office at Carroll Hall. Wait, where's that? George Mason University. I see. All right, so you've already got the schedule. Can you talk a bit more about the schedule, Tristan? How do uh, we spend our day? Sir, so in the mornings, we normally start with uh, math, basically. Uh, so we started with basic algebra, worked our way up to algebra 2, and by the end, we were doing calculus. Uh, then in the uh, afternoons, well, first we would have a lunch break, and then we would move on to history reading. Uh, that's where we would just read uh, books that our dad assigned us. And after history reading, we would do history writing, where we would write essays about the uh, historical time frames that we were covering in the readings, and our dad would grade these essays once we finished them up. And at the end, we normally had what was called a reading, writing, and research period, where we just worked on whatever we were interested in, and our dad would look at that, too. Hmm. All right, now, what kind of discipline was imposed? Was it some kind of, like, iron-fisted totalitarian regime? What was going on? Give the right answer. I would say it was fairly lax relative to public schooling. <laughs> Sir, it was more it was much more of an honor system than regular public schooling where not cooperating with the teacher would often land you in some sort of punishment. With the, uh, of course we had so so little desire to to uh to go against the schedule that there was almost never a problem. But Wait, yeah. don't all kids hate their parents? I don't understand. I don't hate my parents. <laughs> I think they're the, I think they're pretty much the two best people in the world. Having given it, having raised Aww, me. Oh, <laughs> so sweet. So, what about testing? Were there any tests, uh, Tristan? Yes, uh, we would have tests normally every Friday, uh, just to assess how well we were doing in math, history, all those subjects. And our dad would look at those and say if we needed to keep working on some things, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So that helped us get a good uh, ballparking of how we were doing. All right, what about standardized tests? Yeah, uh, for standardized tests, the things we did that were most standardized, I suppose, would be the AP tests. Whether that wait, wait a second. What are the AP tests? The uh, AP tests are advanced placement tests uh, normally taken by high school students trying to get into colleges. High school students trying to get into college? Wait, how old are you kids? Uh, I am 14. I did the first AP when I was 13, though. Whoa. All right. So, all right, tell us more. Well, uh, the first year of uh, CFS, Cabin Family School is what we call it, uh, we uh, practiced for the, uh, st studied for the AP uh, U.S. history test. 
And uh, our dad, of course, helped us get through that, grading our essays, telling us what we should work on, all that stuff. Obviously, we could have done it without him. And we went over and got fives on that. So that was wait, wait, what's the, what's the top possible score? Five. Ooh, wait, both you got fives? That's right. Cool. What about test the second year? What happened then? Aiden. Uh, well, that year we did three times three times as many tests which pro- with probably less than three times the work, so it was very nice. In fact, I would say it was almost the same amount of work and got fives on AP Microeconomics, AP Macroeconomics, and AP European History. Huh. Wait, what do middle school kids need to learn economics for? Well, to be economists. <laughs> oh, to be economists. Standard career goal for every kid. Absolutely. All right. And then some people asked about the legality. So Virginia is a state with pretty lax rules. So since I, the father, have an advanced degree, I am immediately qualified to teach. And then there are several different ways that I can stay in line with state rules. One of them is just to get evaluated by somebody else who's got an advanced degree. And this role was ably served by Alex Tabarrok, who's across the hall. Thank you, Alex. All right. Now let's get into something, uh, some deeper stuff. All right, so, uh, Aiden, so what were the main motivations for do it, for us doing this, anyway? Motivations. Well, I was very unhappy with normal public schooling. It was, it was uh, for me, very boring because of all the music programs that we had to go through. <laughs> and, and art, too, let's not forget art, which, you know, all of those put together, I did not like any of them, and maybe they took up half the day on some of the days. Half the day on music and art? Absolutely. What kind of a crazy school did you go to? Hunters Woods yeah. Elementary School for grades four to six. What I mean is <laughs> some school or other in Northern Virginia. All right. And, yeah, Tristan, yeah, so motivations. What made you interested in this idea? If at all, if you were interested, who knows? Yeah, so in addition to what Aiden was saying, I'd also say uh, we basically did very little time on the subjects that I liked the most and I thought were most important. Like so what? Math, for example, we spent maybe, if we're lucky, 40 minutes a day on that. That way, that way, that way, that's back in regular school? Yeah, it's back Yeah, in and how much time do you spend on that in homeschool, on math? Uh, roughly two hours, two hours and change. Two hours and change. Wow, so that's like three times as much. Did it show in the progress we made? Uh, oh, yeah, definitely. I, I don't think there's any way we could have made it to calculus without uh, our dad here to help us out. Right. Hmm. So we made it to calculus, or we made it through calculus? Uh, well, I'd say we've almost made it through. There's right. still some stuff we need to learn, yeah. but we're right. doing pretty well. Yeah, that's pretty good. All right. Yeah, and then just for my motivations, uh, you know, so, I mean, I'd, I'd long been interested in doing something like this. I've got a job where it's really easy because I can just take my kids into my office with me. I've got two kids that were highly motivated and very well behaved, so I can still do my job and be their teacher at the same time. But, you know, the main thing is i got to say, you know, Middle school, or what we called junior high as a kid, those were the worst years of my life. And I just wanted to give my kids a better life than I had when I was a kid. So I saw they didn't seem to be very happy with school, and I put myself in their shoes and said, oh, I were them, I wouldn't be happy either. This is not a very nice way for a person to have to go through their day. So at least I could spare them you know, some of the, the, very, the very bottom, and I think that's what I did. All right, yeah. So, uh, besides these AP tests, uh, yeah, Aiden, what are some other accomplishments we had? Um, or what do you what do you feel like we've got? Where do you feel like we've come? Where, where, you know, from where from where we started? What can you what do you what yeah. what skills do you have that you didn't have when we started? Let's put it that way. Well, I feel like my main improvement is in my essay writing, which you know I've taken a look at some of the things I did in sixth grade, and I thought, wow, 
those are, those are the kinds of essays that did, that got top marks in sixth grade, and those are the kinds of essays which I would think were more or less trash <laughs> right now. But, oh, come on, you're in sixth grade. Yeah. You're too hard on yourself. It was, two yeah. year, it was only two years ago. Right, and how, how, how exactly did you improve? Well, uh, the way that the way that uh, most people should what they might think that's a good uh, that is a good way of improving, which is through practice. You write the essays; they're graded. You get comments on them about what you need to work on, and then yeah. from there you get better. So, about how many essays do we do over the last two years? I wasn't really keeping count, but I would say probably eighty, maybe a hundred. Eighty or hundred each. Yeah, yeah eighty or hundred each. Well, that's 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 quite a lot. All right. Now, how about educational philosophy? Uh, would you call what we were doing unschooling? Uh, definitely not. Unschooling <laughs> would be basically just letting us do our own thing, and we would not have been happy with that. You wouldn't have been happy with unschooling? No. Huh. Well, what's wrong with that? Well, like that would just leave me like not really knowing what to do. And having the sense hmm. that I was basically just being huddled off to do hmm. is to you know do stupid stuff, stuff I didn't know was important. You know, I have low, I had low wisdom. I still have low wisdom. <laughs> I admit it. I don't know what, what what I'm supposed to do, how I can improve without help from the wiser, older people. Hmm. Right. So, I mean, did we just try to duplicate the regular school curriculum then? Oh, absolutely not. Yeah. We, yeah. The, the the part of the uh, yeah. sift was uh, trying to. Get rid of that material. So, so you know, how would you say that it was that, that our day was different from a regular day in sixth grade? Well, uh, in sixth grade, like I believe Aiden already said, we would spend maybe about half of it doing art, music, stuff like that. Here at CFS, half, we just, the, half the day. Yeah, it's still hard to believe. Yeah, here at CFS, we just totally cut that. It was all down the down the drain. But music and art are super fun. Not to me. I, I hate music and art. I mean, I like listening to music. I I'm, I'll admit I don't like art in any form. But uh, I like listening about to movies. music. I like, like movies? It. Like movies? <sighs> if you yeah. can count that as art. Yeah. You, you write stories. That's art. It's all art. Yeah. So, and actually, I'd say you got to listen to a lot more music than you ever would in regular school. Yeah. That's because right. what were you guys listening to? Uh, well, uh, normally we would just turn on some quiet classical music while we were doing our work listen to that our dads gave us a whole briefing on all the composers he thought we was worth was worth listening to we learned a lot there but kids don't like classical music kids like modern music they like pop uh yeah that's that's probably right but i'm not like those other kids really huh that's as interesting. you might have guessed huh wait is this something i brainwashed you into no, it is not something you brainwashed us into. From a very early age, I always hated this loud, like nasty, popular music. Yeah. I, th I thought people were crazy for listening to it. All right. Now, one question I'm just going to handle my own. Uh, what are we doing next? We just finished middle school, and Aiden and Tristan are starting regular high school on Monday. Uh, why? I'm just going to be brief on that. Uh, it's a family decision. Not everybody in the family to is totally on board, so that's what's happening. All right, and now, uh, the fun parts. I uh, put out on Facebook that I was going to be doing this podcast, so I got a whole bunch of questions from different friends, and now we'll just go through some of them. All right, so here's one. How about Aiden? Uh, if you could do it over again, what would you do differently? Uh, that's a great question. All right, so... <laughs> <laughs> this is, uh, by the way, from Michael Chonchev. Oh, I see, all right. Yeah, so... 
I think I would probably include. I think I would probably have us do more in the first year than that uh, because I think we did more or less the, uh, like three, probably like three times as much, probably like three times as more impressive stuff in the second year. When I feel like we probably could have done that much in the first year too, or maybe just a little less. So I feel like we probably could have done more in the first year, maybe testing some more economics, mm. and that would have freed up more time to do stuff in the second year. So but, more work. We should have worked harder. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I feel. <laughs> I feel like that's so. So would you rather cut us cut into the free research period and done more standard stuff or what? Yeah, for a lot of days. Yeah. I mean, right, I feel right. like for some of the research periods, I didn't have a clear idea of what I should be doing going back to the right. unschooling thing. Right. But, uh, you know, you, d you did often use that to go and just read Wikipedia on stuff. Yeah, that's, that, relevant, that's so. quite true. That's quite true. Yeah. Right. So, huh. and uh, what about you, Tristan? If you could do it over again, what would you do differently? I think Aiden's answer is pretty good. Ultimately, I think the one thing I would do differently would be uh, basically just try to read more Wikipedia and stuff using the Internet as a, as a resource more often. Mm -hmm. I think, especially in the first year, our, our APUS textbook, although it offered some direction, it was just not that good. So I think if mm -hmm. we used uh, the Internet more to our abilities... Yeah, so that, that textbook was, by the way, the best U.S. history textbook that I could find. Uh, so it was called Nation of Nations. Uh, was never thrilled by it, but still compared to the competition, uh, still stood out, so that's why we used it. Uh, See, so yeah, how about this? Uh, also for Michael, so what do you feel you did great? Uh, yeah, so I feel like the thing, the, like the one department I've come uh, for, I've gone furthest to, or sorry, where the one department where I've improved the most is undoubtedly my essay writing skills, which like we did so much practice with it, especially in the months before the AP tests, that I feel like I improved from over from like maybe like the 10th percentile for not for my age but the, but objectively and then maybe raised it to the 70th or 80th so i feel mm -hmm. like that was 10th percentile of adults or college 10, 10%, co co college college graduates 10th percentile of adults i like yeah. by adults i mean yeah. professors so <laughs> 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 i have i have a, i have a high bar right now. so it's yeah. not college graduates yeah, all right yeah. and then well yeah tristan what do you feel you did great Yep, uh, essay writing, although it wasn't just essay writing per, uh, per se, I was also working on, uh, like I said, reader writing and research projects, so I think uh, I was writing a lot of fiction stories and so on. Which Ooh, I thought cool, I what kind of fiction? Uh, well, early on I was doing like horror stories and so on. I horror? Had, yeah. You don't seem, you don't seem disturbed. Well, I'm not, I just, I think it's a cool genre and I wanted to work at it to see what I could write. Hmm, suspicious. All right. <laughs> Uh, and here's another one for you, uh, also for Michael. Uh, did you feel other kids treated you differently for being homeschooled? What about adults? Yeah, uh, so to be honest, I didn't actually talk to many other kids during the homeschooling experience, but like all the ones I ever talked to, they haven't treated me any differently for it. This doesn't seem, it doesn't seem like they really care. Possibly they don't even really know, notice that I'm homeschooled, but... Well, yeah, you, you, you it's, it's something up. that I'll know better after like maybe one or two months in public high school. All right, well, what about adults? And as for adults, uh, I think I think adults like I think a lot of professors had had more respect or respected me more for the homeschooling because I was more intelligent and had intelligent things to say rather than the dumbed down version of me I was in sixth grade. So, <laughs> <laughs> so shame, so shame. All right, and what do you say about that, Tristan? Yeah. So other kids and adults treatment. Yeah, again, I think the few kids we interacted with were like practically as weird as us, so it's not like they would judge <laughs> us for doing something that's weird. They would, if anything, like that. Uh, let's, the most normal kids I would meet would probably be like my cousin, I would say. 
see it C didn't seem like that that disturbed or anything. In fact I think C's uh C wanted to be homeschooled too after hearing how great we had it. Uh let's see. And then I'd say for adults yeah, I think uh, many of the adults we interacted with, it, there was, like, at first subsets of their hope school that's a little weird, but, like, you know, like, for some of them, for the rest, it was basically just respect and say, yeah, you know more. Your dad's a smart guy. He'll steer you right. Wait, Dad, so uh, what about the Germans? What did the Germans think about our homeschooling experiment? Well, you know how homeschooling is completely... Oh, yeah, well, yeah, well, wait, by the way, why would the Germans even come up? Oh, yeah, because our dad uh, took uh, the family over to roughly a month in Munster, Germany. It's a nice city. Yeah, very nice. By capital of Germany. Uh, but, yeah, since uh, homeschooling is completely illegal in Germany, all the Germans were very disturbed to hear that we were being homeschooled. Uh, I mean, for, I mean, our dad basically just says it all in his German <laughs> accent. It's like, what's a homeschooled? How can this be? But Sally's estate tells you what to look at and what to work on. And I said, no. What? Then they don't tell you how to do anything? That's right. Oh, my God. The sky is falling. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. It was fun freaking out the Germans, i got to say. Yep. So now a few things were recently said that I think will be terrifying a lot of listeners. So Aiden mentioned just not spending much time with kids your own age, and Tristan talked about spending time with weird kids his own or your own age. What's what's going on? Well, so I have the I have the view that it's not actually very important to talk to kids your own age because kids your own age grow up to be adults. So adults are the important people to be talking to and figuring out how their psychology works and so on. And I feel like that the homeschooling experience really prepared me for, especially as I want to be an academic, so I'm around tons of academics, especially. Wait, but aren't kids your own age a lot more fun than a bunch of professors who are, no, bald, who are balding? No, I don't really think so. They all start out at like a low. They are. They all start out like conformist or in some other way, not really fun to talk to. Economically, oh, it can't be that bad. Cetera. Can't be all yeah. of them. Eh, maybe not yeah. all of them, but like you have, there's a lot of search value involved. So, like, <laughs> yeah, it's hard to find these weird kids and sort of convert them. All right, Tristan, let's hear about some of the weird kids. I like them, sir. So, uh, they you heard about the Professor Tabarrok who uh, signed our papers and so on to make sure that everything was kosher for more homeschooling. Uh, he has uh, two sons, uh, uh, Max Tabarrok and Connor Tabarrok, who I'm big fans of. And they're pretty weird, and just like their father, I'd say. No offense to any of them, I like weirdness. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, so they, they seem perfectly okay with that. And then also we converted more, uh, there's basically some other kids. Max knew a few, Liam, for one. He was, cool, cool. He was also pretty okay. Yeah, we also just spent a couple of weeks hanging out with some other kind of weird kids in France, right? Yep, that's right. Uh, tell us a bit about that. Yeah, it's mostly uh, British kids from boarding schools, although there were also some Americans and then some, you know, people scattered from all kinds of countries. A few Wait, how, how, did the, how did this all happen? What was going on? Uh, well, uh, our dad got invited for roughly a month in France. Uh, the year after, he got invited for a month in Germany at the uh, Chateau de Molay. John Locke Institute ran it entirely. In Normandie, France. Yeah, exactly. All right, and so who, who were these? You know, so these kids were what, they were uh, college kids. What were they? They were high school students. High school for the students. Most part. A few were younger, a few were older, but mm -hmm. yeah. All right, all right. Let's see. All right, here's here's one that we kind of already touched on, but uh, from my friend Andre Salazar. So, did you follow traditional curriculum, or did you allow room for other subjects or early specialization? 
Oh, yeah, so definitely did not follow traditional <laughs> curriculum. It was about as untraditional as you can get, Well, I mean, except for unschooling. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, so we did a lot of reading and writing and math, so I'd say I, three R's, that's pretty traditional, isn't it? Yeah, well, the way we did it was, the way we right. did it, I would say, okay. it, unconventional, but highly effective, and, All I, right. and I feel like that's, I feel like that is really the, 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 the qualification for traditional versus untraditional curriculum. Yeah. All right. Yeah, so, like, what were some of the early specializations we experimented with? Tristan? Uh, specializations. Well, we tried to specialize in the subjects that interested us the most. So, specifically, economics and history. Mm -hmm. that was, those were the two main things. We worked hard on that. And I think we've ultimately succeeded in being way more knowledgeable at history and economics than we could have ever been at normal schools. Huh. Yeah, let's come back to that at the end. I've got, uh, we've got to, well, got to strut our stuff a bit. All right. So, uh, here, Tristan, here's a question from Justin Zielinski. Do you think your time was spent in a manner that you, that you in 10 years will believe was over was you overall useful? Yeah, I, I really hope so, because uh, the me in 10 years will pro hopefully be like the me right now. I like the me right now. I don't want him to change that much. <laughs> you, you could do with some improvements, I'll admit, but overall, that's fine. So I think uh, right now, I think that the time spent was incredibly useful. I doubt that will change, and if it does, it probably won't change that much. It'll change to be either not quite as useful as I thought or more useful even than I thought. So I think I think ultimately, yeah, everything that we've done here will be very useful. All right, what, what do you think, Aiden? So remember, so in ten years you'll be what twenty-four. Yeah. All right. So useful? How useful? Uh, yeah. So I think that so I think it'll be super useful in having given us a massive academic boost, which will really, which will hopefully uh, be very good for college and so on. Yeah. So yeah, I, I more or less agree with tr what Tristan said. I feel like the most likely direction is for me to consider it going up rather than down in terms of how useful it was. Yep. Yeah, so I mean, when I was designing the, the curriculum, the main thing that I didn't want to be flexible about was math because I think that's something that, on the one hand, it's not that fun for a lot of people, but it really does open up a lot of doors. So that's why we put in almost two and a half hours every day into math. And then for... The other stuff, as long as it had a big reading and writing component, I was pretty flexible. So since they were interested in history, you know, we didn't really do like English literature in a normal way. Instead, we just read history books, but we still did a lot of reading and we did a lot of writing. So I think that's all we needed to do. And then in terms of fiction, so actually, so you know, both of the, both of the, both of you were writing fiction uh, in during research time, so uh, which uh, a lot of it is very good. All right, so we got a question for from Scott Gibb. All right. Uh, so it seems to me that the K-8 years might be more important than most people assume. How would you describe the relative importance of K-8 to the high school years? So this is for me. Um, so I guess I just don't know that much. I mean, say, like, you know, my, you know, my, my, my main view is that you can get a pretty good prediction about how, uh, how successful a person's going to be by normal metrics just with... IQ test, or you know, and then maybe add on some you know, personality tests to get, to get a little bit more information. Uh, in terms of you know, how useful it is, I mean, I say most people forget most of what they learn, so I don't think they're getting much, much out of that. Uh, there's always the compared to what question. So is school really useful compared to being home alone playing video games? Then yes. Is it really useful compared to something else you might be doing instead? That's not so clear to me. 
And so, you know, as long as you're out interacting with people. Yeah, and so, by the way, so you guys, were you, like, were you kept, like, in isolation? It was just the two of you guys and me or Aiden? So, like, what, what kind of social interaction did we get? Oh, uh, well, the professors would come by every day and uh, every Friday and more frequently for days we weren't telling supposed to be there. <laughs> uh, we got to go out to lunch with them, which was nice. Mm-hmm. So, well, and, of course, college students came by asking about where Dad was usually, although sometimes yeah. although sometimes they would be waiting for a while and we got to talk to them as well. Huh, what about games? Oh, yeah, so uh, we also did some role-playing games uh, throughout, the, throughout the school year. So we started off with uh, Dad's role-playing game, Punctuated Equilibrium, uh, with, uh, three, with three college students plus the two of us and Dad GMing. Mm-hmm. And uh, more, more of the same as the year progressed. Oh, hey Tristan, what do you think about all these college students? Don't name names. Let's just what's general picture. George, George Mason undergraduates. What's their deal? Uh, right. So we actually attended two of our dad's college classes. Oh uh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yep, uh, yeah. labor and public choice class. Uh, and so the labor class and public choice, both most of the students seem to be somewhat apathetic. They aren't that interested in the class. And they don't do as the homework normally. They don't they don't study as hard as they should, anything like that. But you can definitely find some very yeah, most of them kind of do the homework. Kind of, but you know, yeah, it's really. attendance that's uh, shocking. Yeah, the low. attendance yeah. is low, and like even the the students who score mm-hmm. the best on the on the tests don't aren't even normally the ones who sew up that often. So hmm. it's a little odd. All right, here's another one from Scott Gibb. All right, so obviously Aiden and Tristan had to work very hard to obtain the scores they did. What did you say to motivate them? All right, Aiden, what did I say to motivate you? Well, where to even begin? <laughs> <laughs> well, you gave numerous you gave numerous speeches uh, based uh, based usually off uh, based usually off of ones from uh, from historical literatures, also Shakespeare. Uh, you gave us some St. Crispin's Day type speeches. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I but, didn't remember that. Yeah, like the day before test. Day. Oh, the day before the test. But, but yeah, but, but, yeah, to motivate you to do the work day yeah, in and day out. Yeah, I, like I feel like I'm actually the sort of person who doesn't need that much motivation, and you, like you was you were sort of just there in the back room, and that was enough. That was enough for me to know that there was someone there in case anything went wrong. Yeah, Tristan, what was I saying to motivate you? Well, uh, part of it is you were saying how these tests that we were trying to take would be super important. I mm-hmm. believed you, of course, because you're the kind of guy who would know exactly mm-hmm. about that. So there was that, then also. You would also then there was also just the underlying thing that we would have to go back to regular public school if you know we just didn't like it and obviously public school to me would have been real given how bad it was homeschooling would have to been terrible before I would go back. Huh. And uh, here's uh, also from Scott. So hypothetical criticism of Brian. Quote: Brian is pushing his kids too hard academically. Looking at the test results of Kaplan Family School, there's no way he hasn't become a tiger dad. He should lighten up just as he tells his readers and selfish reasons to have more kids, one of my books. End quote. Why isn't this accurate? Or is it? So, was I a tiger dad? Absolutely not. You, were ma- you retained your dolphin personality <laughs> throughout the whole year, throughout both years, I would say. Huh. So, how do we get these high scores if I was just like a f- freaking hippie? Well, uh, you managed to w- not waste our time. So unlike normal public high schools, which yeah. normally have their students working maybe three times as hard to get maybe less than one-third the results, and you had a genius way of working out the schedule, <laughs> assigning time slots, so it didn't have to be that way. I think which I appreciate a lot. Bettering me up, all right. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, what do, you, what do you think, Tristan, about that? So, was I a tiger dad? Give the right answer. <laughs> Don't shame our family. <laughs> You were you were definitely not a tiger dad. You're always super nice to be around. 
and that, that's great. Uh, so I would say, just like how this happened, how we got our good scores without that being a tag yet, well, a lot of it is just that, like Aiden said, we don't need that much motivation. If, we, if we're told that something is going to be important, yeah, we, we study for that, and we're going to make sure that we're as good at it as possible when we finally do take that test. So. Hmm. Yeah, so the time that I felt closest to being a Tiger Dad was the four to six weeks before the AP tests, because that was when we did constant test prep. In, you know, in general, what I tried to do was teach the subject well, and then, before the test, teach the test. So first, you know, so for economics, for example, um, you know, the AP micro and macroeconomics tests just are not that good. It's a very narrow subset. It's not really the, what, what I would teach in the class. It's about I just used uh, Count and Tabarrok's uh, intro text, and we just tried to learn the subjects well. And then, once we had learned the subjects well, then we narrowed our focus to prepping for the test, and that's where... God, like, how many practice tests did we do? Well, so for U.S. history, I would say we did like uh, ten to fifteen. Right. And then, like, for, for, like, like how long? How 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 long are these tests? These three practice? hours and fifteen minutes. So each. three and hours and fifteen every, minutes times ten to fifteen. Yeah. Right? And then every other day we'd have a one-hour-long SAT subject test in U.S. history. Yep, yep. Although a lot, a lot yeah. easier. That's right. right. And how about in eighth grade? So yeah. You know, how, like how like how like Tristan? How many of those micro, macro, and European practice tests do we do? Yeah, so the micro-macro are quite a bit sore. They're roughly an hour sore than, uh-huh. the, uh, than the AP Euro or AP US. Uh, those were easier. Uh, those are only maybe about two hours and chains. Uh, but and then the AP Euro is, again, as long as the AP US. So on average, I'd say we spent maybe about twice as much te- in test prepping for those so, tests. Like, how, like how, how, how many individual tests? Oh, I see. So for combining micro-individually micro would have been maybe about 12. Twelve, and then macro yeah. roughly the same, and then AP Euro. I'd say we only did like uh, eight. Eight, yeah, yeah. Which is harder, harder to get them. Yeah. All right. So now we got it. Got it. Some questions from Monique Van Hock, who is the wife of Alex Tabrock, mother of Connor and Max Tabrock, and also professor in the biodefense department right here at George Mason. All right. So uh, first, first one. What are Aiden and Tristan most looking forward to upon returning to regular school? It won't be the school lunches. Conversely, what are they most concerned about? If that's not too personal. <laughs> All right, so Aiden, let's, yeah. let's, no, let's try not to give a complete cop-out answer here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What are you most looking forward to? Most looking forward to? Wow. Um, perhaps we should let Tristan answer this question. <laughs> Tristan? Well, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to at least trying to assemble a group of people who are interested in the same things I am. Maybe assembling a gaming group, that would be pretty awesome. Yeah, that would It's a be, bit of a fantasy, yeah. but I think I can make it yeah, happen. Yeah, totally, totally. All right. And what are you most concerned about? Let's see, yeah, uh, probably just like the hours and hours of extra work uh, for, like, for, like, for, less ben- for far less benefit. Seems like for for instance, I get uh, the on the orientation day, I get a page saying we should start collecting empty food containers, and I go good. <laughs> Wait, this already happened. Yeah, it's already oh, happened. Yeah. The orientation day, which is important to do. Note the tap. Start collecting empty food containers. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> why do I have to do this? It doesn't seem useful at all. It doesn't. Any, what subject is this even for? It's for biology. You're probably gonna like yeah. look at the nutrition labels or something like that and yeah, tell you can't us. Can't learn what's biology without having <laughs> without trash, right? Certainly not. But they specify they have to be clean, though. <laughs> All right. So let's see. Also from Monique is 
as teacher-in-chief of Kaplan Family School, what your next project be, what we do with all this free time. So second question first, actually, the amount of time that this really required wasn't very much. I was just taking them to my regular office, and I didn't have to do any kind of discipline or authority or any anything like that. Uh, you know, Aiden and Tristan, I would give them their work, and they do their work. So really, the, there were only two main sources of work that I had to do. So one of them was just designing the curriculum. So that probably I spent about 50 hours on each year. So, you know, but that spread out over a long time. Uh, you know, a big part of that was just textbook selection, fig you know, figuring out, well, you know, which, which books to use. Uh, so, you know, like, you know, buying practice books, things like that. So, you know, also just time management. Sometimes they go fiddle with the schedule when, if they were getting ahead or behind in one subject so that we could stay on track. So we always had those AP tests coming up in May to, that were, we needed to stay on schedule for. Um, and then the other thing that took a lot of time was grading, but uh, no, really just essays. So the, you know, so the essays, the, you know, there wasn't really any way I, that I could outsource that, outsource that. So I would just go and sit down and I mean, not only would I go over them with a red pen, but we'd spend quite a bit of time going over them because you know, that's, I think, the way that you really learn to improve your writing is by the torture of, be, of sitting down line by line and being told that uh, things are not perfect. I think, well, who, was it both of you said that was actually your least favorite part of the experience? Yep, well, it's right. tough getting criticism face-to-face. -face. I, yeah. I eventually learned to deal with it. Yeah, yeah, so... Took it well oh, yeah, by the yeah. end. Yeah, that, that, that was almost all well. And then, you know, and then during the four to six weeks before the AP test, then there was an enormous amount of grading there. But for stuff like math, usually what I would do is, you know, first tell them, you know, so if they, you know, gave them, you know I got good textbooks, and then say... First of all, if you're confused, talk to each other. Second of all, Google, and only third, come to me. And that system worked out really well. So, you know, sometimes I was actually put, uh, posting hard geometry problems on Facebook where I couldn't figure them out. And I've got enough math. Yeah, I've got, yeah, yes, yeah, so your trig. Yeah, I've got enough math nerds that yeah, that me. Yeah, so, well, yeah, once there's a geometry problem, you have to do it without trig. Yeah. Anyway, so I had had my math nerds uh, out, out there to go and help me out. Uh, so that cut down on my time too. So the crowdsourcing. Let's see. Right, and then this fits in with a question from, uh, right, right, so a question from Ben Henry. So he said, "How do you fit in your homeschooling in with your job as a professor?" Uh, and again, like you know, so since I was a professor, I just brought my kids in, and not only was it easy, I could still do my job, but gave them a lot of opportunities for enrichment. So I took them on trips, you know, not just to uh, you know University of Münster in Germany or John Locke Institute seminar in France. Took them on a, uh, a Harvard, Princeton, Yale tour. They got to me. Yeah, who do we meet at Harvard? Uh, well, it's, oh yeah, of course. So we met Lant Pritchett and also yes. Stephen Pinker and, and Greg Mankiw. And Greg Mankiw. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So you know, those are some people we met there. Uh, so you know, I just you know, like whenever I had speakers come in, try to try to try to introduce uh, introduce you, see if you can get some value out of them. All right. Yes. Let's see. All right. Now here is. A question from a Facebook friend that I knew back in high school, Denise Dardarian. All right, so it's actually a much longer comment, but I'll just read the beginning, which I think is probably speaking for a vast number of listeners. All right. How do the boys feel about missing out on the school experience, not going to football games, not attending homecoming and prom dances, not hanging out with their friends during lunch or after school, not participating in school sports, band, or other activities, not having favorite teachers and least favorite teachers, having a part-time job, saving up their money for a car, getting their driver's licenses, crushes on girls and or asking a girl out, going out on dates. Uh, so I think she may have thought they were in high school rather than middle school, although most of this would apply either way. All right, so how do you feel about everything you missed out on? 
Aiden, yeah, Aiden. I, don't, I don't really feel like I missed out on much of anything. I, I'm, a, I'm an extremely introverted person, and I really have no desire to... But, it, but it's homeschooling that did that horrible thing to you, no, right? No, I've, I've always been introverted and shy. I, never, I didn't really have many friends back in public school. So like, there were, I knew almost everyone in the class, but I didn't actually like to talk with them that much. So. But, the, but the more introverted you are, the more important it is to throw you in with a bunch of kids, isn't it? No, I don't think so. It's sort of like a broken window fallacy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and uh, Tristan, so how do you feel about everything, everything that was taken away from you? You had it all back in sixth grade, and I gripped it from your hands. This is kind of like saying that he took away something I never had, because I was never trying. I never really wanted to do any of those things. A lot of what homeschooling did was was like teach me how to improve on the things that I did badly, and yes, that included talking to girls. Say, social. We had social skills lessons. Our dad arranged for that. I I just out of the rise I'd be too intimidated to even think about trying to improve it, and yeah I know I'm not that good and pretty bad at it, but I've improved a lot and that's something. All right, so. huh? But I still feel like a lot of people are there, their stomachs churning, the hair on their back of their neck standing up, feeling like they're in the presence of some horrible evil. <laughs> so, but every kid likes this stuff, right? Every kid likes being in band and going to football games and no. prom. No, I'm, I'm afraid not. I mean, yeah. I, you know these kids. They were probably, like, in the back of the classroom, you know, Sadie stuff going <laughs> on there. But there were definitely kids in any school you went to, I'm willing to bet, that just did not like the system. They didn't want to be there. And they were they were probably pretty angry at the system, too, for making them be there. And I was one of those kids. I was one of the kids who sat in the room constantly thinking, God, this is so stupid. I don't want to be here. Please take me somewhere else because I don't want to listen to school spirit stuff about football games. I want to just quietly learn. And why are you stopping me from quietly learning? Why are you forcing me to care about these things? Because it's never going to happen. And I don't want to learn about them anyway. I just I just want to go and learn about the stuff which interests me. And if you there's I know there's lots of kids where that kind of stuff interests them. That's fine by me. But you don't try to force that stuff on me because it's not gonna have any effect, and I'm just gonna be miserable because of it. But wait, if you don't do band and football games and proms, how will you ever get a job or marry or have children? Well, you can ask. You can ask this man over here oh, because right. it worked out pretty well for him, I think. Oh yeah. How many times oh, did you ever go to the prom, Dad? Let's see. Counting senior prom, no times. Right. And uh, <laughs> how, are you married? Yeah, I am married actually. Right. You got four kids, right? I have four. Wow. Yeah. So how did it work out for you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So gotta say, whenever people go and give me these speeches about how my kids are missing out on stuff, I always remember what it's like for me and. I had all these things, and you know what I wanted, to, and you know what I wanted—the opportunity to not have them. People feel it. Like, like, I mean, again, I, I could—I totally get that a lot of people really enjoy this stuff, but the idea that everybody does—it's just like look around. There's other people who have other experiences. They're, we're not very loud because we're not very popular, but it doesn't mean we're not there rolling our eyes saying, "I don't like this." When people say you have to give them opportunities, usually what I find is what they mean is you have to ram a certain choice down their throats, even though there's no real reason to think that it's going to redound to their benefit later. 
So, you know, if I had a kid who didn't want to learn how to read, I'd make him learn how to read. Because there, it's very clear that he'd really be cutting himself off from the future. But a kid who doesn't want to dance, doesn't want to play an instrument, doesn't want to draw, what are they cutting themselves off from? That's the, the, something, something that most people never have and don't even miss. Right? And on the other hand, there's so many things that schools don't bother to teach. You know, say like movies. You don't get cinematography or filmography in, in, in school. So the, and 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 I and I do feel sorry for people who don't know their movies very well, although I also notice that most people who don't know their movies don't seem to miss it. So, live and let live. All right, uh, here's a question from Christopher Ryan: uh, What is the least income the family can make to make homeschooling work? I mean, I would actually say you could do this on almost any level of monetary income. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there is the issue about you know like, like you know having one parent around to to do it. So if both my wife and I had, had jobs where we couldn't have kids around, this would have been a lot harder. Uh, so, I mean, I still would have been open to it, but it's not the same because then like, I could give them their work at the beginning of the day and I could come home at the end of the day and help them out. But in the middle of the day, they would just be on their own. Uh, where I still think they could learn and have a good time, but it wouldn't be the same kind of warm experience that you get when you're actually with your parents all day. So I'd say, you know, if you got parents that can, that, you know, if you're a parent, parent that has either a, a flexible job or just, you know, or is to stay at home, then, then it works well. But, you know, so much of it is really just about the behavior, you know, the behavior of the kids. So, you know, if Aiden and Tristan were typical teens, then I probably wouldn't have done it because I couldn't have done my work. They'd be interrupting me or complaining so much that I couldn't really, really focus on it. And by the way, so um, before we did this, we actually started homeschool a month before regular school. So we'd have a one-month trial period uh, so we could actually see whether it would work. Right? So you know, I'm not the kind of person to try a radical idea without testing it first. Right? So uh, yeah, remember we talked about the uh, so-called utopian socialists? Uh, yeah, so the utopian socialists are really what deserve to be called the scientific socialists yeah, yeah, because why, you know, why is this, Aiden? Oh, the utopian socialists actually conducted experiments in the sense that they would get the money together to form some sort of socialist community and sort of let it go about as they envisioned it. And in most of the cases, as we see with New Harmony, which was Robert Owen's utopian community in the United States, it failed. Anyway, this is the, this is the exact opposite experiment. Experiments <laughs> can succeed or they can, they can succeed right. or fail. Right. I say this one succeeded. Yes, but at least... Yeah. Yeah. And this, yeah, at least, at least, at least you got a big yeah. new idea experiment yeah, and, and ch- check it yeah. out. So, props to the, be, props to yeah. the unjustly maligned utopian socialists. You know, they were the real scientific ones, and it was the Marxists who were the utopians. Yeah, don't be Marx yeah. criticizing, yeah. criticizing his critics with that's unscientific. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a good question right. to answer it. All right, so. Now, you may be surprised, but for the first six years of their lives, uh, Aiden and Tristan's main language was not even English. It was Romanian. So they had a Romanian nanny who really only spoke Romanian from the Yash area of Romania. So it was sort of a country accent. Yeah. Uh, their, you know, their mom you know, grew, lived in Romania until she was seven, so her Romanian's almost fluent at least. Uh, and then I, sp- I spoke English, but still most of your time it was spent, with, uh, spent speaking and listening to uh, you know, it's Romanian. Anyway, so I got a question here from... Uh, Dwamna Eugenia, uh, the first nanny's daughter, Irina. All right, so it says, you know, question, questions for all of us. So what do you like most about homeschooling and the least? All right, Tristan, what do you like most about homeschooling? Uh, I guess the thing I liked most about homeschooling was uh, the reading writing and research period where I could work on whatever I wanted. I thought that was always really fun. I got a lot out of it, too. Hmm. And uh, the least? 
the, uh, the, the thing I like least about homeschooling? Hmm. Well, I mean, the honest answer is, uh, at the very beginning, uh, there were, uh, our dad had us do swimming classes. Ah. <laughs> and I didn't like that, but if you, uh, if, uh, if you want something to occur throughout the, throughout the entire time, then I guess that would won't hmm. technically just be the exercise period. Yeah. I realized it was still useful, but I just didn't enjoy it that much. All right. Yeah, we, uh, we played some tennis. It wasn't that bad, was it? No, I just, yeah. it was less enjoyable. All right. all right, all right. So, Aiden, what did you like most about homeschooling? Let's see... Yeah, probably, probably building myself up in terms of academia. So starting from basically nothing and nothing. Yeah, seven years of K, seven years of public high school. Doesn't well, really well public, public, public elementary public school. High, yeah, elementary. Oh, yeah, public elementary school. I'm sorry. Can't believe I got that wrong. Yeah, they're practically <laughs> indistinguishable, actually. So, so I'm not actually. Well, we haven't really started high school. I think no, there's gonna be some differences. No, take a look at the uh, take a look at the school supplies list for kindergarten <laughs> and for ninth grade. Uh, but you let, let me tell you, if you have a ninth grader, buy him two sets of kindergarten. <laughs> kindergarten supplies. supplies. It'll, be about, it'll be about right. Yeah, colored pencils. You need crayons? Yeah, uh, yeah well, like uh, some sort of cra- No, color. You just need colored pencils. All right, not, so we've moved, we've moved on from crayons. I'm well, well, yeah. not sure if crayons are in the school supply list for kindergartners either, though. No, they are. Yeah, you need crayons. Yeah, All right, and uh, how about the least? What do you like least about homeschooling? Yeah, so Trist- so Tristan's answer about the swimming—that's yeah, I agree with that. Although, like, so in terms of what was emotionally mo- more difficult for me, so but like, probably like the receiving criticism for the essays. At least I, fir- at least at first, I, re- I mm-hmm. that didn't really feel so good. They didn't really feel so good to me. But after yeah. a while, like yeah. I learned to like it. And was that was that because I was uh, super mean when I gave you? No, comments? you were you were just giving candid feedback, something I had never received before. This stinks. <laughs> <laughs> you call yourself a writer. <laughs> no, <laughs> you always gave me hmm. good feedback, and I, I, at first it was hard, but. All right, and then also from Rena, uh, did you study any foreign languages during homeschooling years? No, we did not study any foreign. Oh, languages. you forgot. You did. Wasn't a lot. Don't you remember? German. Yeah. Yeah. A tiny bit. Yeah. So before we went to Germany, I gave you a few German lessons. Yeah, I probably speak more German than Spanish. Come to me. <laughs> <laughs> barely any yeah. German though. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like we just we just did a few lessons before we went, just so you could have have a little bit of basic. Yeah. yeah. You knew you knew enough to order croissants at the at the at uh, the Bäckerei. Yeah. Right, so-called croissant in bitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. Three Czech Right, croissants. that's right. Yes. And so, and some people also ask, you know, like, what are some of the hardest subjects to teach in homeschooling? Right, so I guess this is back to uh, Monique Van Hock. So what subjects do you feel most challenged to cover in your homeschooling? Um, and what are your thoughts about these uh, those subjects and how to deal with them? I've been homeschooled for several years now. Um, so... Uh, the stuff that I did these two years, uh, pretty much all of it, I felt was was easier for me to do. I get you know, so like the uh, the uh, U.S. and European history, I know that stuff very well. I actually you know, so I I you know, so the, like so actually all four tests, AP tests that they did, I did when I was in high school, and I did them much later. So I did U.S. history when I was in eleventh, actually U.S. and European history when I was in eleventh grade, and but I you know, so and you know, like U.S. I had a class for European, I was self taught. And then I did uh, micro macro self-taught in twelfth grade, so I got fives in the history, but I only got fours on the econ test. So I was proud that my sons in eighth grade were you know, knew more econ than I did when I was at the end of twelfth grade, even though I am now a professor of the subject. Uh, I mean, I you know, looking forward. So if we had been continuing continuing homeschooling for high school, 
I saw you know two big issues. So first of all, it was foreign language, where I mean I could kind of teach them German, but I'm I'm, I'm nowhere near, I'm nowhere near fluent, uh, and you know, certainly I wouldn't be able to prep them for the AP German uh, with with any any degree of competence. So my thinking there is that if we were doing it. I would have emailed someone over in the foreign language department here at George Mason and asked them whether they've got either you know a graduate student or maybe just an undergraduate who's already fluent in the language who wants to make some extra money, and then probably combine that with some you know, with some online tools. So, I mean, just in terms of the gamification of learning foreign language, there's games where they test pronunciation now. They seem pretty good, so probably would have tried that. I also was thinking about if I could get like a visiting you know, like a semester abroad. Just to take them with me and put them in some kind of immersion class in well, like, uh, in a language that has an AP test, so we could prove to the uh, colleges that we knew our stuff. And then for uh, natural sciences, uh, also I'm I'm very weak there, so I never did any natural science APs. So for math, I've I've gone pretty far, but I just I've only had you know basic biology, you know like we're like you know, like you know well. This was honors biology, honors chemistry, and then I did one semester of college physics at Cal State Northridge, which is probably a lot easier than doing honors physics in high school uh, at Granada Hills High School. So for those subjects, I was thinking quite a bit about what to do. So that way, I think so since we're gonna we'll be done with calculus pretty soon, then uh, physics, you know, like just doing the calculus-based physics, seemed like a way of you know something that we'd be pretty well prepared for. Uh, I've got Robin Hansen across the hall, who's very good in physics, to say the least. Uh, I mean, actually, at a level that to me is a superhuman. But uh, you know, I know there's other people who are that good, but I could never be that good at a subject like that. Uh, and then for other things, again, I was just thinking about doing, you know, getting tutors from from around campus. Uh, just you know, so uh, possibly with large cash bonuses for if we could get fives on the AP tests, if someone was interested in that deal. Yeah, those are the main things where I felt challenged, like like I just didn't really know enough. But for everything that I was doing, uh, so some of the stuff I felt I'd kind of forgotten, you know, for like the, the history, like the details I've forgotten. But it's also something where if you know the broad outlines, then it's just not that big of a deal to be shaky on the details. You can just double check. Whereas if I just didn't know it at all, then it's a different matter. All right. And speaking of Robin Hansen, I've got a question from him. The obvious question, obvious to Robin. Uh, very non-obvious and meta to everybody else. The obvious question is how Aiden and Tristan think regular school will change they and their views uh, to, to be followed up a year later with how accurate the, the, those expectations turn out to be. So how will public school change you and what you think? Uh, my hope is that it won't change me at all. <laughs> <laughs> you don't uh, want to learn anything. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, yes. not, not a lot of the stuff, but uh, yes, in terms of learning things, eh. Yeah, I mean, I like for a lot of stuff. I don't feel like I could I could learn that much, but I'm not. Right. Of course, that's something I say with very little yes. empirical evidence. So I would say I'll probably learn more than I expect to learn right now. <laughs> and in terms of in terms of what my in terms of my views, those will probably stay more or less constant. Right. And uh, what do you think, Tristan? Uh, yeah, I think uh, probably I'll learn something. Nowhere near as much as I would learn if I stayed here. I might learn some more things in subjects like Spanish or something. Mm -hmm. That's possible. Yeah. Well, you know, if you're homeschooling, we'd really have to start a foreign language uh, yeah. for college. Yes. Yeah, so, I, so, so yeah. more than possible. Mm -hmm. But I think another change that I'll, I expect to happen will be that I'll just become uh, more uh, more Kaplanian in my views <laughs> of the education system. I'll I see. Uh, probably get more mad at it and. Uh, 
eventually yeah. just go grow to accept the signaling model more than I already have. Which You're is already like the 99th percentile of <laughs> Kaplanianism. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so well. yeah, that brings me to the question of the obvious and blatant massive brainwashing that was done to you here. Clearly I just took a couple of innocent children who didn't know what was what and I just poured my views on them using every kind of manipulation intimidation to make you agree with me and that's, what's, that's what happened, right? I mean, I can even leave the room so you can tell the people out in Radioland about the level of brainwashing that you endured. Yeah, I know this is exactly what a brainwashed person would say, but I wasn't brainwashed. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Only a brainwashed person who would deny their own brainwashing. Well, why does it seem like brainwashing to other people then? Yeah, that's a good question. I feel like there's something about having a, having like a father who's uh, who's like a, who's who's like the sole instructor and he's like giving giving the students like uh, I don't know, but like they they could probably explain it better than I can, which is unfortunate. But yeah, what do you think? All right, brainwashed. How brainwashed are you, Tristan? Uh, am I more am I more in agreement with your views than I would would have been <laughs> if? Uh, I, then I wouldn't have been if I had just been out in normal school. I think uh, that's probably right. Uh, but uh, on the other hand, I think that uh, basically, uh, like you haven't tried to brainwash us in the sense that any normal person would call brainwashing. You've introduced us to, sir, libertarian thought and so on. But, uh, you know, if we didn't like it, we could always say it's, it's all crap, but it doesn't seem like it's all <laughs> crap to me. I think, uh, you know, people like Milton Friedman, they've got a good point to make, and they make it well. And, you know, we, it's not like we're living in a bill, we're, we're studying in a building where everyone is an anarcho-capitalist. They're pretty far from it, in fact. And of course, let's, let's not forget yeah. the fact that Dad gave us textbooks frequently written by non-libertarian people. For instance, our history textbook authored by Carlton J.H. Hayes, a uh, normal Wilsonian Democrat. <laughs> Nor will, will, this was, yeah. uh, this was written about a yes. hundred years ago. Yep, yep. So, by the way, so... You, when I was when I was in high school, like I said, I just was self-taught in European history. So, and, and I mo learned most of what I know from an historian named Carlton Hayes, who has a was it you know a, you know political political was a social and political history of modern Europe or something like that political and social political and social history of modern, modern Europe. Europe as well as in the so, numerous yeah. other books. yeah so when I was looking around for European history textbooks, I didn't like any of the ones that I saw that much. So I just tried out the ones that I liked, and they they really did take to them. Uh, so Carlton Hayes is. You know, certainly no, you know, no libertarian, all barely economically literate actually, but still just a very fun, opinionated professor writing in 1916. And then for the 20th century, that was actually kind of hard. But yes, we had like that, what like modern civilization book or whatever. Oh uh, yeah, what was it? Uh, was it right, but civilization. Yeah, the West. civilization of the West. But that one actually for the 20th century was very thin. So I think. Yeah, of course both, the exam itself is very thin. For yeah, most, for much of right. The yeah, most of that I think we just just learned on our own. So. Yeah, speaking of brainwashing, all right, so homeschooling movie Captain Fantastic. Uh, all right, so. Now that's a good uh, one. Yes, one, one, of, one of our favorite movies. So uh, Viggo Mortensen plays a crazy homeschooling dad, a hippie survivalist uh, making his kids live out off the grid in, uh, in Oregon. All right, so was he, was he brainwashing his kids? Yeah, I don't think so. It seems like his kids challenge him a lot and so on, especially his eldest children. So it seems like the older they mm -hmm. are, the more they challenge him. But mm -hmm. in the film, anyway. Yeah, what do you think? Was, was Captain Fantastic brainwashing them? 
mean, it's easy to say that he was if you look if you look at the movie just like from the first view. But if you look closely, like oftentimes, Ken Fantastic will challenge his kids' ideas, and his kids will challenge his ideas. And yeah, I think they're all they're all in some just in some way they're gonna be a lot like him. They're gonna agree with a lot of his views by the time they're older, and they'll be more in sync with his ideas than almost anyone else's. But still, I think that that was probably going to happen with or without homeschooling. I don't think that Captain Fantastic actually changed his kids to the extent that they would otherwise have become libertarians or something. Yep. Yeah, so like when I was blogging this movie, I was saying, God, I would just love to teach Econ 1 for the whole Cash family because <laughs> you know, they learn it. They can actually learn it. And once they learned it, they'd never be the same again. Right? You know, like, the dad would be the hardest case, but you know, he'd be talking back, but still, he'd, he'd, he'd get something out of it. I really, really think he would. Yeah. Uh, which there are more people, more people like the Cash family. Absolutely, out there, out they're not like your normal communists. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes, though some some of them were. Yeah, so at least Bodavon Cash was a Maoist, self-identified. They're all super yeah. left wing. Yeah, the very least. right. I mean, so the thing that strikes me when all of those old brainwashing stuff is, wait, doesn't regular school brainwash people? Like, well, yeah, like so, what kind of brainwashing, if any, did you experience in K through six? Let's see. Well, so every so every morning we would have to do the Pledge of Allegiance. <laughs> that's not brainwashing. That's our country. Well, I, <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, we should, we might want to go back to 1984, <laughs> <laughs> book by George Orwell, to make our minds up about that. You might yeah. say that there's the TV screens. It's it's about our country, so it's not brainwashing. But the whole point of the mm -hmm. book is that it's a it's society brainwashed. Yeah. So, yeah, how about the history? How much brainwashing was in the history? Uh, yeah, well, the history instruction was so poor that I feel like the brainwashing, if they, were, if they were trying to include it, was not put in there. But the main thing I think is, like, so, in terms of brainwashing, in, in, uh, in like, so, like, history of public schooling? Yeah, 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 K, yeah, K through yeah. six. Hmm. Yeah, so definitely, so definitely, bigger emphasis on, like, America was a good, was basically a good country, and the colonists were basically right about the, about the Declaration of Independence and so on. But and they that, weren't? No, they were. They were. <laughs> yeah. Wait, wait, but were the but yeah, but were the but were the colonists right? Yeah, that's what they yeah, exactly. That's what. No, they no, no, no. What they were. You know, I know what you're taught, but are you suggesting? Oh, are you suggesting that what you were taught might be wrong? Absolutely. <laughs> if I if I had been if I had been a colonist back then, I would have been like Reverend Mather Biles, who was a reverend. It was a Tory at the uh, at the, uh, the the Boston, uh, like the Boston Church. Yeah, it might have actually been the Old North Church. Come to think of it. <laughs> but anyway, he said, yeah, "What was the exact quote again? Let's see. Why should like why should we listen to a thousand tyrants three miles away? Well, prefer, prefer. Why should we prefer a thousand tyrants three miles away than one tyrant three thousand miles away?" And I'm like, oh, yeah, that seems like a perfect point. Seems like the new guys are going to be just as worse, or possibly even, or, or possibly even worse than the last guy. And if we just let things smoothly roll along, yeah. What do you think about brainwashing in public school, Tristan? Yeah. Yeah, they, of course they brainwash you, and you know some of it is uh, is just like the Pledge of Allegiance and stuff. You know, when I, I went to the high school orientation, they had everyone to stand up to the Pledge of, to the, to, uh, to singing the national anthem. 
I didn't stand, but uh, you know that was probably because I wasn't brainwashed. <laughs> <laughs> only I, an, only a brainwashed person would refuse to conform to the rest of society. Right, right, no, you can tell. <laughs> it, only only a non only that brainwashed person would refuse to stand up with the Nazis. <laughs> the right it's a definite sign of brainwashing if everyone in the room is doing the same thing. If it's like a crowd of uh, of uh, twelve hundred mm. people and they're all standing up to the same thing, it's uh. You get a bit of a chill from it. It's kind of like watching a Nazi rally. <laughs> it's not like watching a Nazi rally, but you realize that the Nazis had a way of getting people to be on their side. They were very popular. People did what they were told. And part of it is because they were so charismatic. All right. So, now let's go, you know, set aside the questions of the audience and let's just talk about some ideas. All right. Let's see. So we've done a whole lot of European history. How about your favorite European monarch from 1450 to the present? I would probably say Henry the Fourth of France, who reigned 1589-1610. So, you know, he here was a man who, unlike his predecessors and successors, was explicitly stated that his interest his interest was not to conquer Jerusalem back from the infidel or anything like that. But to have a chicken in every in every at every hearth, <laughs> I feel like he like he was willing to sit like at a time when tons of people were going crazy were going crazy about religion and so on. He was willing to set down his faith for the good of France and let stop the stop the bloodshed, because he was willing to bend the knee at the altar, as he said. Paris is well worth well worth a mass. Wait, you see the guy so, who had his famous edict. Yeah, he, had, he issued the Edict of Nantes in 1598. This was by no means like a full issue of toleration for the Huguenots of France, but uh, like it said, out a number of towns, cities, and fortresses where they could worship freely. Sadly, revoked by his successor, Louis XIV in 1685. All right, Tristan, your favorite European monarch. Yeah, Henry IV is a good choice. I think I uh, like Joseph II of Austria a little more, though. He's uh, he's the kind of guy that I'm a lot that I like because he so he's uh, responsible with trying to bring religious toleration to a large extent. He uh, sponsors Mozart. I've always got a soft spark for anyone who sponsors a like, great classical musician like Mozart. But isn't he the one who wanted to have the really pessimistic tombstone? Yes, yes, here is a man who. Yeah, here is a man who, with the best intentions, never succeeded in anything. That was the epitaph he proposed. Yeah, I don't uh, think it actually. And I think, and I think that's pretty much right. He was a European monarch who had some of the best intentions I've ever seen. Normally, these people just want to murder their way into power and take hold and have an iron fist, tax people, kill, kill, slaughter, whatever. But Joseph II, he was just trying to bring religious toleration. He was trying to make things better. And yeah, is he is he is hypocrite? Yeah, he probably was. If he really wanted to do that, he'd, you know, be like trying to sell his that giant palaces and live less <laughs> le, live less extravagantly. You know, like all these European um, monarchs do that. And hey, I mean, how is how is that different from relative. from a typical American billionaire living high and letting die? Well, normally, American billionaires have earned it. The monarch. Oh uh, right. Wait, the, the monarchs didn't earn their fortunes. The they they inherited them fair and square, didn't they? <laughs> I mean, you could you could say you could say that a southern slave owner inherited oh, his yeah. slaves as well. Well, it doesn't the, really well, well the palaces weren't screaming. No, no. The palaces, <laughs> palaces once again were built from the toil of the slaves who were built. These, yeah, these palaces were built on the euphemistic, euphemistically called serfs. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. When when wait when 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 was serfdom abolished in Austria? In Austria, Austria. Uh, Actually, 18, it would be eighteen forty-eight. This was uh, this was after the revolutions, hmm. and so that's yeah, that's, that's that's de jure abolition of serfdom. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
But I mean, there's, there's, a, well, there's almost yeah. no serfdom. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so when 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 in Austria proper, they like serfdom is practically non-existent by 1848. But the empire is so massive, you go out to Hungary, yeah. and serfdom is conti- continues until 1848 in large yeah. numbers. Really, okay. yeah, Maria yeah. Theresa of Austria yeah. it, it screws with that too. Yeah, God, I hate her. <laughs> All right, so you know, so this is a policy question. I think it was a joke, but it's actually a good question from Christian Madan. So, zoning its effect on growth, or just how about you know, talk about American housing policy through an economic lens? What about Tristan? How about Tristan starts? Uh, sir, so American housing policy is a travesty, I'd say. They're trying to prevent stuff from being built in places where people want stuff to be built. Who's, who's, the, who's they? Who's they? Uh, anyone who likes to live in New York, say, or say San Francisco. There's lots of people who want to. Wait, Those the people who want to are stopping it? Huh? The people who want to are stopping it, or no, they're no, being stopped? No, the people who want to who, are who's, being who's, who's stopping them? Uh, mostly government, government. government agencies yeah. and so on, with the yeah. regulations yeah. saying yeah. that you can't do it. Yeah. Is there a five-letter abbreviation for the people who are, be, who are behind this? NIMBYs. NIMBYs, yeah. yeah. What are NIMBYs? Not in my backyard. <laughs> uh, yeah, so can you elaborate on this? So, like, what are some of the regulations that are keeping housing from being built? Uh, well, so, for instance, in Silicon, in Silicon Valley, you have the problem of, like, buildings can't be built too high, so and they can't really be built to the left or right, so you need to build down, basically. Uh-huh. There's that, so, that, yeah. so, that, so that's, a, that's a problem there. And, uh, and uh, so in Washington D.C., there's a regulation which says that no, no building can be taller than uh-huh. than the was it like the cap the yeah, capital yeah. building. Yeah, I think it's the capital building. The capital building. Yeah. yeah. So st- stuff yeah. like that. Typical. <laughs> right. And then you know, you know so how about just saying that land you're not allowed to build on some land? Yep. Yeah. That's a big deal. And of course, yeah. And of course, uh, for, that of course there's the classic problem of a foreigner wants to wants to move to the United States. That's yeah, yeah, not so allowed. Yes. Even if they want, even if they right, want right. to say build a house there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah actually, so that that reminds me of something else. So, uh, you guys are actually the uh, the children of immigrants, aren't you? So you know, in in my work, I, 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 I like one of my main specialties is the social science and philosophy of immigration. I'm working on a nonfiction graphic novel on this with. Uh, artist Zach Wienersmith of Saturday Morning Breakfast Serial. But I often forget that I mean, my own sons are the, chi- are the children of immigrants because my wife came from Romania when she was seven. So you know, what is it like being a second-generation immigrant? Uh, I never really thought of myself that way. <laughs> see, Wait, are you saying that you're assimilated? Uh, yeah, I would say I'm, I'm pretty, well, pretty assimilated yeah. to this strange yes. subculture. I'm by no means a normal American, but <laughs> I'm, yeah, assimil- I'm assimilated. Yes, I mean, you're, you would be you would be classified as American, right? Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah, so, 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 there, there we accent. are. I'm assimilated. Yes. i to the subculture of Carol Haas. Yes. yes, and uh, and, Tr- and Tristan. So yeah, what is it like being a second generation immigrant? Um, well, it's a lot like being, I suppose, just a normal person. <laughs> uh, I, mean, oh. I don't think uh-huh. being a second generation immigrant and just being a normal American guy is just seems huh. pretty similar to huh. me. What's the most Romanian thing about you? The most Romanian thing about me? You like meat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, Romanian sausage. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't like, I, I, I dislike almost all Romanian food, and that would be the most obvious thing. I, I speak Romanian. Okay. How about that? Okay. That's the most yeah. Romanian yes. thing about me, because yes. almost no one can speak Romanian. Yes. So. Do, you, do, you have, do you have a short greeting for our Romanian listeners? Uh, short greeting? Short greeting. 
you know, just Romanian version of uh, hi to ever, all of you people out there in, uh, ra- in uh, Romanian radio land. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can go back to that. Do you feel like you, like you got the words? Uh, and say, and say like hello more or yeah. less. Bunaziwa. <laughs> yes. well, well, I can say Bunaziwa. Yeah. Yeah. Like, no, no, you can't because yes. you said it wrong. Oh, Bunaziwa. No. Uh, <laughs> Yosan <yosin> Papagal. <laughs> you know what that means? No. I'm a parrot. Yeah. Yeah, that's one, one of my. Yeah, yes. And Yosan Satul. I am full. Very, very useful thing to know if you're dining with Romanians because they will push food on you. All right. Let's see. Other fun. Historical or economic questions to deal with. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Uh, hmm. So, what do you think would have happened in the 20th century if Vladimir Lenin had been successfully assassinated by our hopeful relative Fania Kaplan? Right. We don't actually know. She was. He was. He was shot by a woman named Fania Kaplan. I. She could be a relative. We got no idea, but let's just hope. But anyway, <laughs> so suppose that Fania had been successful. How do you think the twentieth century history would have been different, Tristan? I mean, possibly it was too late already, and the communists had seized enough control that somebody would have calmly replaced Lenin, and he would have been almost as fanatical. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, yeah. Who do you think it would have been, actually? Yeah, it's a tough question. It probably wouldn't have been Stalin. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. so he's 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 lower rank then. Wouldn't I don't think it would have been Trotsky. Well, yeah. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. Is the, he is the head of the Red yeah, Army. He's got the but, Army. Yeah, but he's a Johnny-come-lately. Yeah, he is. And so. Yvonne-come-lately. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think yeah. Trotsky's a likely choice anyway. But anyway, I don't think it would have... It probably would have been someone less bad than Stalin because it's hard to believe that there's anyone that could be much worse than Stalin <laughs> anyway. I think it yeah. roughly would have progressed the same way. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see, uh, maybe there wouldn't have been such terrible yeah. famines or something if there had been yeah. a new leader, but I think the USSR yeah. still would have gone on to become a great yeah. power, probably. Yep. And what if he had just dropped dead on the train before he got to the Finland station? Then what, Aiden? Yeah, that that that, cha- that changes things dramatically, I would say, so... Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so uh, like he, so like I think I think it's very so like uh, the uh, the uh, story in Richard Pipes uh, describes that Lenin was very very narrowly averted captured by an imperial patrol while on his way to Petrograd. They he got out of it by pretending he was drunk, and so they let, waved him through. But uh, Richard Pipes says, and I think reasonably that, uh, that if like he had been captured there, like who know like who knows what would have happened? I don't think it would have been Bolshevikism in Russia. Mm-hmm. I think that I think that, Bolshevism. Uh, Bolshevism. Yes. Yeah. I mean, were there still imperial guards? I thought he was coming back after the Kerensky took over. Yeah, it's like as to what they yeah. would be. Maybe they're like yeah. like, yeah, like, yeah. like like who yeah. knows? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, at that time they were sort of releasing all their political prisoners. So. Right. Right. Yeah. But like, but like yeah. he would like he he would have been apprehended. Yeah, 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 but if they if they had kicked him back out yeah, so, or something, uh, yeah. So they, I, yeah. I think they, I think that very well could have changed things. But if there's one thing super forecasting tells you, it's that it's it's a, it's a little hard to see what what's going to happen afterwards. It's a little. Oh yeah, let's yeah. Really talk about that. So one of the books that I signed this summer was political psychologist Philip Tetlock's book Super Forecasting. Mm-hmm. So Tristan, you want to give people the the gist of Super Forecasting? Yeah, so the uh, basic gist of super forecasting is that almost everything you think about predictions is wrong. 
uh, right now probably because your the language you use is always almost always very vague. So for instance, when I just said almost always, what percentage of forecasts do I think are vague? <laughs> do you know that? Could it maybe my definition of almost always is what like 99%? What do you mean by vague? <laughs> what, do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean by vague? Yeah, so like you have to define things. You have to assign probabilities to them, and like normal English is just not very good at that. What 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 probability do you assign to May? Well, I guess literally it's like what more than point zero 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 one percent, or like less than a hundred percent. That's not very definitive or anything. Mm -hmm. So the basic idea is that people should stop what they're doing, and think more about assigning probabilities to words, thinking about what what exactly they're literally saying, uh, defining what they've just said, stuff like that. Huh. And uh, Aiden, so uh, like you know. How does Tetlock even arrive at these conclusions? Has he got any actual evidence? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the more that, so like the first part of this book is just taking is like a comparing what he calls super forecasters. So like people in a study who who have done really well at forecasting and then comparing. Them ah, so, there's, to, so there's so there's a tournament. Yeah, there's a tournament. Yeah, uh, it was like the like the Good Judgment Project. Yeah, uh -huh. so right, right. It. Yeah, so and so like they do amazingly well. Contrary to my economic thoughts, they even beat futures markets and stuff like that. So, which is which is fairly surprising to me. Yep. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. So yeah. yep. So yeah, Tristan. So what are what are some of the traits of super forecasters? People who are in the very top of the forecasting tournament. Yep. So super forecasters tend to be uh, very e very easy to tame. So they're very you're open to new ideas. Yeah, very open mm -hmm. to tame. Uh, accepting that the idea that their original idea might be wrong, their original probability. Uh, let's see what else. So they don't like to attribute anything to one and any probability to like one big scheme. Uh, Tetlock yeah. has this thing about foxes and hedgehogs. Mm -hmm. And uh, hedgehogs are basically people that have like one big theory to explain everything, whereas uh, foxes are just have a lot of different theories. They try to adjust things, and uh, super forecasters tend to be more like foxes. They don't mm -hmm. have this one big theory to explain everything. They um, don't. Ha they do, like they generally reject fate and so on. And yeah, they reject fate. Yeah, they don't think that everything is preordained or anything, and. Mm -hmm. They they're strong believers and they're strong believers in things like hindsight bias, which like you know they just say like it's hard to judge that it's easy to say that was definitely going to happen after it happened, mm -hmm. but actually like at the time it must have seemed pretty you know, crazy. They, and they happened. tend to fermiize as <laughs> oh fermi yeah can you tell us about fermi fermiization Aiden yeah sure so as so so this was basically developed by Enrico Fermi an Italian scientist who moved to the United States initially to work on the atomic program. Uh, the atomic program, but anyway, so he has, so he, so he had this, uh, this experiment, or not really experiment, but question: How many piano tuners are there in Chicago? Is the example which Tetlock uses, and most, of, most of his students just like they just like think about it for one, and they say, and they just like give a number, like for more or less taken out of the, more or less taken out of what Tetlock calls the black box. All right, but then, and then so, but then, but then, fermiizing the question, you either like you can or you can like ask like four more questions, which you might know the answer to, like how many people are there in Chicago, how many families are there in Chicago, you can take guesses, uh, and then and then what, like what you, share have pianos? Yeah, what like what share? Yeah, exactly. What share would have pianos? How often do pianos need to be tuned? It's uh, like you narrow this down. You might not have a good idea about any of the questions. But the remarkable thing is that when you come out, when you come out with an answer, it's going to be more accurate probably than just reaching into your black box and picking a number. Hmm. So the so the so the, with uh, his fermiizing, which seems very reasonable, Tetlock comes out with a number of sixty-three, 
and the actual number appeared to be at the time 87, so mm -hmm. quite remarkable that... He's off by 20%. He doesn't know anything. <laughs> <laughs> He's off by... One... <laughs> He's only off by... Oh, yeah. Some people might be off by a factor of 100, right? Yeah. yeah. Quite, quite, quite possibly. All right. So uh, we also spent uh, quite a bit of time doing psychology. Uh, just, you know, like not so much as a class, but just learning basic ideas. So can you tell us about action bias, Tristan? Uh, sir, so action bias is the idea that people tend to want to do something a lot more than they want to do nothing. As Tyrion Lannister said, and I believe the last Game of Thrones episode, when Daenerys asks what she's to do, and Tyrion says, nothing. So nothing is sometimes the hardest thing to do. And yeah, nothing is sometimes the hardest thing to do, but I think it's highly, uh, doing nothing is highly underrated. Uh, if, like you're saying, should, I don't know, should we launch missiles into some country? Uh, saying, well, uh, do you think that's a good idea? I don't know, but it's probably better to launch missiles into a country mm -hmm. with rebels than not to. Is that right? I don't think you have any good reason yeah. to believe that. <laughs> yeah, so. it's kind of like, you know, if you're a politician and someone says, what do you propose to do about something? If you, Right now, even if you don't have any good ideas, you're generally better off proposing some stupid idea than just saying... Yeah. I've got nothing. If something good comes along, I'll let you know. Because right. it sounds bad to say yeah. we should do nothing. Yes. Yeah. So it sounds like yeah. you yeah. got no yeah. Yes. And you're an idiot. Yeah. Yep. When really you might be the smartest person in the room. <laughs> All right. So uh, one, one last psychology question, and then I think we're about, it's about time to wrap it up. So I feel like if I had known about this one psychological effect when I was a kid, it would have made my whole childhood much better. So... I'm wondering if you guys can explain it to the, our listeners. So this is the spotlight effect. Oh, what, it, yeah. what is it and what does it mean? I was actually thinking you might say the spotlight effect. All right, so the spotlight effect basically states that people uh, overestimate how much other people are paying attention to them. So, for instance, if you're wearing a funny, if you're wearing like say a funny hair, then you walk through yeah. the mall. Yeah, the experiment is a funny shirt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah okay, yeah. yeah say, yeah, say, yeah. say you yeah. have like a beaver skin cap. It's like Davy <laughs> Crockett, 19th century beaver skin cap. All right. So you like walk through the mall, and a lot, and like at the end of the experiment, you're asked, right? So how much attention do you think people pay to you? Like, like they were probably like paying tons of attention when you were right? freaking out. And then the ex and then everyone the, saw then go, me with my stupid hat. Yeah. I'm so ashamed. <laughs> exactly. And then the and then the researchers go to the people in the mall and ask, so "Did you notice a guy with like a Davy Crockett cap walking around?" <laughs> I'm like what? <laughs> so and that's the spotlight effect for you people. Be like always. You're always almost always overestimating how much attention other people pay to you. It's but Tristan, how, Tristan, how can this help kids? Well, let's say that you're weird, and uh, I think there are lots of people listening to this right now who would identify <laughs> as being weird. Yeah, I identify as being weird. So if you're weird and you like doing weird things and, you know, being just being weird in general, doing said things will not get you anywhere near as much negative attention as you think it will. Say, just like wearing a shirt with some dice on it, some D20s, why that? What, and then just going around, maybe you advertise it to a few people who know what D20s are, and they're like, hey, cool, you know, he's got a shirt with some D20s, and almost everyone else just says, eh, or I don't know, like, he's a nice sir or whatever, or maybe they just don't even know, so that, whatever, that weird kid. What about all those kids who say, if I do that, everyone will see, and they'll all make fun of me, my life will be over? Well, they're uh, strongly overreacting. They think they have this this uh, this idea that the whole world is going to turn its eyes on them as soon as they do anything out of the ordinary, and that's just not true. People have their own lives. They aren't focusing on you. You aren't the center of their attention. 
trying to do well in their school or whatever is the center of their attention, trying to go get to the football game. It's not looking for people in Davy Crockett hats. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, but, but, of course, don't forget the uh, don't forget the fact that like uh, say or let's see. Oh yeah, so so like say so like there's a it's a big world. So even if you damage all the relationships you have at the moment, somehow <laughs> through your weird thing, there's tons of people out there. You could just meet new ones who have the foggiest about what's going on. <laughs> all right, good thoughts. Yeah. All right, so it's about time to wrap it up. So closing thoughts. Uh, for the last two years, the Kaplan family has done something unusual. I think the results speak for themselves, but I know a lot of other people will think otherwise. And the main thing I just say to them is, well, if listening to us for all this time hasn't changed your mind, I don't think I'm going to, but are you really so sure that what we're doing is terrible that you want to stop us? Is it possible, is it just possible, that what we're doing is actually better than what other people are doing and the world can learn from us? I mean, I actually went through the entire system, the entire regular system, regular K through 12. I never liked it. I've got some ideas about how it could be better, and I tried it on my own kids, and my kids seem happy about it. So why shouldn't people at least give me a thumbs up and say, you're doing your thing? Maybe you know better than I do. It's really not my place to say. In the end, that's really all I ask. What do you know? So closing thoughts for you, Tristan? Uh, I think it's been a great experience. I've learned a lot. I've become a far better thinker. I know so many more things. And I think that homeschooling has just made me a better intellectual. And I'll learn from this, no doubt. All right. And, but miserable the whole time? No. I was, I was always far, far happier than I was in public school. And how about you, Aiden? Have you got any concluding thoughts? Uh, you, you can take the boy out of homeschooling, but you can't take the homeschooling <laughs> out of the boy. That's, that's my story. And, and I'm really thankful for that because the homeschooling, in my opinion, has been a wonderful experience. And let me just say, I'm truly grateful, Dad, for every all the great stuff you've done for us. Such a sweet lad. Yep, and really, you know, my biggest privilege has been to teach kids like this because kids like this are really hard to find. All right. So thanks, everybody, for listening, and... Uh, if you ever happen to meet my sons, uh, they're a little shy, but as you might have heard, they got plenty to say. So come to them, ask them some good questions, and you'll make some friends that I say are very worth having. So uh, talk to everybody later. Bye. 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 second I was worried that when the screensaver kicked in that the recording stopped